Hello and welcome to Inspect, a show about web design and development. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about process, like the design and development process. So going from wireframes to to designs and then into development and then finally into production. And uh, basically how that differs between working for a, a larger company or an agency and also doing that freelance where you can we sort of handle a lot of that process on your own. How do you want to kick this off? Um, I think it'll be interesting to find out from yourself how your process works. Let's, let's go with that because, you know, you're working for an agency and, you know, and I think the process there differs quite a bit from everyone else's processes, especially if you're freelancing um, or you're running your own business. I think there'll be a few steps that make, you know, additional steps to the agency model. So, you know, let's go for, let's go, you know, through what, what you do, what your process is and then, yeah, so you know, like I said, um, uh, I'm part of an agency. Um, so I'm a front end developer in the agency. I'm I'm kind of an unofficial designer as well. Um, I get used, uh, I get called upon to do design work every now and then just because of my my sort of past experience. Uh, but officially, I'm not part of the design team. So we tend to um, have, I guess, a, I guess a three step. Um, process where you have the design team work on obviously the visuals and then it gets handed over to the front end team to uh or well handed over to the development team and we tend, tend to work sort of concurrently front end and the back end guys um building out the templates and then you know doing the wiring up and, and the background and then um obviously it'll then go on to qa and, and eventually get released the issue well not the issue but the the difference with, with where i'm working at the moment is that our team is is all distributed so um, obviously I'm in the UK office, but then we've got offices in Germany, in Croatia, in, uh, in Austria, and uh, a few other places around Europe. So the teams are very spread out. Um, so we have to communicate. We do all of our communication online, really. Um, so that can sometimes be a challenge. Yeah. So we've got to make sure that we're using the right tools to, sort of to get designs started and get them handed off to the right people. Um, so, you know, most I think most of our designers are using Sketch uh, to do their design work these days. Um, yeah, it's the norm, isn't it? Everyone's kind of using that now. Yeah, and even when I do do design work for the, for the company as well, I'm, I'm mainly using Sketch wherever I can, um, just to sort of be on the same tool set as the actual design team. Okay. And then, um, you know, the, the design team will then work closely with the project managers and the product owners and the, and the client themselves as well. To, right. to sort of do some requirements gathering at the beginning, uh, work through wireframes and do all that iterative process towards the beginning. Um, and sometimes the developers are involved in those early conversations. Um, not always. Uh, I, I guess it depends on who's on the team and where their location is. Uh, like most of the projects I've been working on have been clients within the UK. So I've been involved in those conversations from the beginning as well. And... Uh, that's always helpful because then you can, uh, as a developer, you can sort of uh, help the designers and the design team uh, put steer them in the right direction of what's possible and what's not, and you know what your plan is, and, and when it comes to developing product, yeah, as well. So yeah. it, it always helps, obviously, when all the team is uh, in, in the same location. But that's one of the challenges that we we tend to face. So are you? So you've got your uh, distributed teams all over, say Europe or all over the world. So I'm guessing you guys use like a collaboration tool, right? 
where you can either, you know, um, converse and talk about um, certain aspects of, let's just say, the wireframe. Uh, yeah. Data flow. Yeah. I mean, we, we use Slack yeah. uh, for most of our projects. There's a couple of projects where the client has their own requirements. Um, so, you know, we, we may use their own communication tool. So for one of them, we're using Microsoft Teams, which um, it's obviously the same sort of thing as Slack, really. Uh, it's that the client is bound to use Microsoft just because of licensing. Um, but, you know, internally, we're fairly flexible. Uh, yeah, internally, within our company, we use uh, Slack. And then uh, for things like design handoff and um showing prototypes and things like that we use uh we use mainly envision um but we're slowly making a bit of a transition towards um zeppelin now so i've got some some projects which are still on envision and then anything that's new is kind of going on to zeppelin as a tool um so that that's pretty good because then everyone's always uh oh everyone's got visibility of everything yeah um you know, conversations happen in Slack, they happen in threads, so everyone's part of the same channel and, you know, there's there's a history there. And then everyone's got access to the design prototypes as well, so they can see see what the what the mock-ups look like and they can uh, extract assets from there, from Zeppelin, and, you know, the developers can get their colors and fonts and spacing and all that sort of stuff that they need. So that works out pretty well. I think it's important to have the right tools as well with this distributed teams. Yeah. Um, yeah, especially with big teams, larger teams, you know, it, it's essential. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, depending on the size of the project, sometimes if if, if teams are spread spread out, you know, across different countries, um, there may be like a, an initial session where everyone does gather in one place, in one location, and maybe have like a couple of days workshop um, time and, to sort of flesh out the beginning part of the project and then everyone can go go back to their own desks wherever they're located and then um you know work remotely after that. Cool. Yeah. Okay. How about how does it work for you? I mean, obviously freelance um with a couple of couple of like contractor team members. How how does the process work for you? So for me, I mean when I was when I was freelancing, it was it's it's kind of it's the same now. Um so I think there's a big distinction between freelancing and being a solopreneur or, you know, running a, a small agency or a small business. Um, and I think the processes are very similar. So the, the way the way I'm working and the way uh, things are handled with me is usually there'll be a, a meeting with the client to determine what their requirements are. Um, and this is usually for, for a website or any kind of web project. Um, so we'll find out what they need, what, what's um, what's required, how the website's going to function, what are the main features of the website, and what's the end goal of the website. Um, so, for example, if the website is going to um, take inquiries for an inquiry form, you know, we need to know about that at the very first step. So, you know, um, we know about all the moving parts and, you know, anything that may cause issues um, during the development process. So that's usually done through like a um, an initial sort of conversation, and then once that conversation is done, we'll send over like a a proposal to the client, which has everything mentioned in black and white, and then they'll you know basically go through that and agree on everything that we've discussed. And once that's done, then we'll send them an invitation into our project management tool, 
Um, usually we use Trello for any kind of uh, project management work. Okay. So we have like a external Trello board for myself and the client. And just so I and myself and the client can see everything that's going on. And then we'll do like an internal one where I'll be using the Trello board um, with anyone else that's going to be on that um, project. So that could be anyone from like, you know, a brand designer to someone who's going to be doing development work or anyone else really that's going to be involved in the project um, on my side. So, you have yeah. a, a set formula of how you set up your Trello board as well? Like internally and externally? Yeah, so the the external Trello board that I have set up with the client is usually, you know, there's usually like three or four um, columns that we set up and, you know, we'll have like a, a backlog um, column and then things that are in progress and then we'll have another column for completed and then what we'll do is basically we'll just set up all the tasks individually on, on individual cards in, in the backlog column and assign um, members onto each card. So the client will be um, added to anything where they're required to provide any kind of content or feedback. And um, then once you know they've uh, provided um, their, their actions or carried out what's required of them, then we'll basically tick off the card and move it across into like a completed column. Uh, just so they know that what's you know what's been completed and we know what's been completed, but they've got full access to it, so they can actually move stuff back. And we get that quite a lot, where the client will move uh, tasks back into backlog or um, you know important. They'll create an additional column, so they kind of get the hang of it pretty pretty fast. Okay, and the flow works pretty well uh, externally. Internally, it's it it it's very similar. We might have additional columns to it. Um, we might have notes um, and other important information where you know we um, discuss uh, various things between ourselves rather than emailing back and forth. Um, you know, conversations will be kept within like a, a converse or column or card within Trello. Um, so that's purely for websites, but we do have you know digital marketing projects where it works slightly differently. So we'll have columns within Trello which will just mark out the beginning of the week. And so we'll have, you know, week commencing, say, you know, 1st of June and then the 7th of June and then so on and so forth. So then we kind of set up cards, which we know are going to be carried out throughout that week. And, you know, we can set up labels for those cards. So we know if anything's green, it's been done. Anything red is important. Orange is being carried out. Um, and if, it, so if it's not completed during that week, then that card is carried over to the following week. And, you know, we get a lot of that as well. So a lot of, a lot of cards get carried over from week to week. Okay. Yeah. And that's kind of, you know, um, longer scale where we're doing like a, maybe a three-month um, Google Ads campaign or a six-month SEO campaign for a client. Okay, good, good. Yeah. So, you know, when you've got clients um, on the same Trello board and you, like you said, they've got access to move cards around, do you do you find that you have to be quite strict with what gets added, or do you do you almost give them a bit of freedom to add whatever they want to the back- backlog? Because I can imagine you probably get a bit of scope creep like that. Um, like we we don't use we don't use Trello really. I mean, some of the teams might use it internally just just to manage it, but with the clients, we use Jira, and um, the Jira boards. Although clients do have access to the tickets, they they they're restricted into what, you know, in terms of what they can create. 
and right. uh, all requests have to come through the right channels through our project managers and you know product owners and yeah uh, they act as a buffer for between the client and the and the design and the development team so there's no <clears throat> you know unnecessary scope creep happening yeah i mean with, with trello just recently i found um you know one of the clients um adding additional cards um you know out of the blue and having full-blown conversations in the card and asking questions and uh you know dropping things like you know passwords and usernames and uh, and things like that and copying pasting content from somewhere and just going really ridiculous with it you know um adding you know 50 megabyte worth of of photography <laughs> into into a trello card and uh, you know it just, it just blows everything up and yeah it, it, it can backfire but i think you gotta have the conversation with the client beforehand and just say to them that this is purely for tasks that we're say, setting up and if we require your feedback in a card, we'll ask for your feedback. Yeah. And, uh, do you also use Trello to then get feedback on designs, for example? Or that varies. Um, for that? I've been using various different types of tools for that. So Envision's a really good one. So once we've done the design work, we'll um, drop it into Envision and create a simple sort of prototype where you'll be able to go from page to page or carry out a user journey. So if you're adding a product to the basket, um, and you know, going to the checkout stage, um, we'll show that um, in, in Vision, and you know, we can gather feedback through there. But just recently, we've started um, using a um, another tool, which is really good. But it's, it's, I think it's still in its beta stages. It's, it's called Dropler, and I don't know if you've heard of it, but you can essentially upload all your design assets to that. So you can you know, upload logo designs, you can upload your website page design, front ends, anything you like really, screenshots, um, whatever you want, high res, low res. And the client can then log in uh, with their own user, username and password and a secure link. And then they can comment within there as well. So they can provide you feedback. Um, so they can like, highlight a certain section of the page and then they can like, pipe on there and give you feedback like uh, dropbox very similar to how dropbox works as well okay yeah you're gonna have to send me a link i'm having a quick search for it but i don't think it's coming up with the right results yeah so you can send me a link to that i'll try it out cool yeah, yeah okay that's pretty good uh, that and envision they work really well yeah we mainly like i said earlier we mainly use envision and zeppelin as well uh zeppelin's good when you're handing off from like designers to developers because you get all the measurements and you get all the assets um, laid out quite nicely and you get the style guide uh, with all the colors and typography as well, especially if you're um, syncing with your, with your sketch documents as well. Um, it does a really good job of that. Um, so I quite like Zeppelin. I have looked into it and I did set up an account with Zeppelin and there's just a lot there. There's just a hell of a lot there um, for um, someone like myself in my situation where it's usually just me and I might be working with a couple of other people here and there. Um, but I think for you, you know, it's Zeppelin is, um, you know, is, is brilliant with a larger team. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so do you, you, obviously you're using Trello, um, which is a Kanban style. So I, are most of your projects, um, do you approach them with this sort of agile methodology? Are you iterating often and doing little sprints, or do you have 
you know, the traditional sort of waterfall approach to your projects? I think everything that we're taking, all the projects we're taking, we do work in an iterative sort of uh, format. Yeah. And I think that's, that's where the Kanban comes in and, and really suits uh, the project work that I'm doing. Um, and I think it works for everyone as well. The, the clients appreciate it as well. Um, they think it's really professional that there's something like that out there. And, it, you know, it really blows their mind and it makes their life easier. So, you know, definitely I haven't come across any project where, you know, we, we think that it's not going to fit or it, it doesn't really work, if you like. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, most of ours are agile. We try and do that as much as possible. But um, there's one one big project I worked on recently where the sort of the client themselves insisted they wanted to work in more of a waterfall approach. They wanted to have a a long period of, uh, you know, requirements gathering right at the beginning and they wanted to really flesh out the whole project and try and try and basically think of everything uh, before any design work even started. Wow. Um, so this was like, I won't mention names, but it was for a utilities company. So I guess fairly, fairly traditional background, you know, they've got a lot of processes in place, which they, they, they want to stick to and they used to, so not necessarily the easiest client to to uh, to mould, I guess. Um, but yeah, it was it was uh, it was tough because we spent we spent a couple of months, I think, uh, just working on wireframes and and just basically fleshing out what the project's going to be looking like and how it's going to work before any you know even lines were drawn in Sketch. Uh, and then, you know, there was a long design process because uh, it was basically a form. We were, we were building this uh, multi-step form, which had about 15 steps to it. So quite a lot of screens and a lot of logic as well that had to be designed. And it wasn't until the whole form had been designed and all thought of that any of the actual development work started. And then, you know, obviously, um, as most projects go, there's there's going to be changes. So came to the development process and then, it was like, okay, that doesn't quite work. We need to go and update the designs again. And then this whole sort of cycle just started again. So it should have been a four to six month project, probably, if it was a, if it was um, agile, turned into almost a year and a half, uh, just really dragged out. I mean, anyway, we got there in the end, um, but it's just, you know, it, it just showed the importance of of working agile and, and uh you know, having having this sort of iterative process where you design a bit, build a bit, design a bit, build a bit, and uh, it was uh, interesting. And let's just say it was interesting. Yeah, I can imagine. Wow. Yeah. If if that happened to me, I'd sack the client. <laughs> well, you can't do that, can you? <laughs> no, you can't. Yeah. Um, right. Okay. And when it when it comes to like. So when you when you're done with your project, let's say you, you're you're done with your design, and then you you've handed off to your development team, and you you, you know, it, how do you then sort of hand off to your client then from that point? So I make sure that you know on the design side, it's all signed off by the client. So every you know screen that they're going to see, that the user's going to see, is all signed off. And then that's passed on to um, to development stage where, you know, myself and um, I'll probably have someone working alongside me. We'll start um, coding and building the the templates for WordPress 
for for the actual website. Now we, we do this in a development environment, and so we will we'll create a subdomain which is hidden from public view. And what we'll do, we won't release anything to the client until we fleshed out all the visuals onto WordPress, you know, with actual templates. So what we don't want to do is start, you know, putting stuff together and then give them a link to it and then they start looking at it. And the first thing they'll say is, why isn't this done? Why is that, you know, like that? Why is that looks broken? The fonts are wrong. This is wrong. Yeah. Um, and we always work in a mobile-first approach as well. So the thing is, what we find is clients always look at desktop first. So that kind of like, you know, puts a spanner in the works. So if we release, you know, early, then we get all kinds of issues from the client because they don't look at mobile first. They always look at desktop. And are they generally happy to wait? Yeah, they, they usually are. So what we'll do is, you know, first things first, we'll get the first page ready and that'll be, usually be the homepage. We'll get that all fleshed out. Um, looking, you know, pixel perfect as it is in, in the design. And once each one of those templates is, you know, ready to ready to be viewed, we'll release them um, as a working site. Um, in some cases, we'll, we'll do a uh, prototype first. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll create um, a setup in Envision where they can, you know, have a play around with it. And that usually keeps them happy. So they know how it's going to look and how it's going to work and how everything's going to flow. And while they're having a play with that in Envision, we can, you know, crack on with the development work. And then what happens at that stage is they'll usually come back to us and say, oh, we noticed something with, you know, um, the buttons weren't clear enough, the call to actions weren't really that clear uh, when viewing it um, as a prototype. So while we're developing, we can actually, you know, implement those small fixes or small amendments as we go along. Yeah. That's how we work it. Yeah, and do you have a lot of uh, input from your clients when it comes to the design process, or do, you, do, <laughs> do they tend to trust your judgment? Yeah, I'm, uh, what happens? I used to get clients who would who who would say to me, so they'll come on board and they'll say, "Oh, you know, um, have you ever built a, a website for dental surgery before?" And I'm like, mm, "No, I haven't." Um, but, you know, built plenty of websites in different, you know, sectors and, you know, industries. So, you know, it's not a problem. The, the question you should be asking is, can you build a website? Um, and not for a particular, you know, uh, business or, you know, sector. And, and I'll be like, you know, no, no, we haven't. And, you know, then we'll be like, well, you know, we really want someone who's built a website for a dental surgery before. And then we'll, we'll say, send us some examples of, you know, websites that, you know, catch your eye and, you know, things that you like. And they'll send us links to the websites that were built, you know, in the 90s and, you know, really, really badly designed, um, unresponsive, you know, um, just terrible. And then we kind of get the alarm bells ringing at that stage and it's kind of like, okay, that's cool. You know, um, I can maybe refer you to someone who can help you out and we'll just leave it there. So I've kind of uh, managed to get rid of those kind of clients, but I, I do still get people on that kind of level where they want to have their input and they want to, you know, make suggestions, um, you know, and it's, it's, you know, you need to, you need to hear them out and listen to them. But at the end of the day, you know, you're the professional, that's the way I see it. So, you know, I'm trained in what I do. I spent, you know, years at university studying human computer interaction and why certain colors are used over other colors and why text should be a certain size and, you know, why websites should be laid out the way they are. 
uh, and you pass that information on to the client and they, they kind of respect you for that. But, you know, it doesn't matter what you say or do. They're always going to you know, try and get something in there, you know, and it's sometimes you, you just have to like, you know, let go and, you know, just go with it. Yeah, no, true, true. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess sometimes people don't know what they want until they see it as well. Um, so, <clears throat> you know, if someone says, oh, okay, I, I want a, a website for my like dentistry, like you, you just mentioned, um, if the competition out there is all of a certain caliber, and but you can bring something new and fresh to the table, um, then, you know, providing links to competitors or to other sites that you like may not always be the best option. Sometimes it's good to just start from a clean, clean slate and just let, let someone approach it with their unique style. And, you know, there's, there's, there's obviously going to be some requirements that need to be met and some, maybe some restrictions that will need to be considered, but you've got to let the, let the design team and let the, let the developers do what they know best. And I think so. And, and, what we normally do as well is if we, you know, if we've agreed to, to take on a bespoke approach, the client tends to stick out of it and they'll stay clear of the design process completely because it's bespoke. They'll leave it to us and they'll know, okay. Yeah, that's guys. good. You want, you want someone who's just, you know, being the, the voice of the design or, you know, spearheading the, the project. Otherwise you're just going to have this de- design by committee where you've got, you know, all everyone in the team, the, the client, the developers, the project managers, all pitching in on how things should look and feel. But you, you definitely need a central point to sort of take charge and, you know, listen to feedback, obviously, and, and incorporate what they can, but you definitely need a... Yeah, I think guiding recently, like the, the big thing that's been creeping up recently, and I've been seeing it all over Twitter, actually, with, you know, friends of mine who are web developers and they run their own businesses... Uh, is you know the influx of uh, digital marketeers who are now getting involved with um, you know web designers and and so what happens is this a, a scenario would be I've built a website for a client the website's all signed off great you know looks great works great and then all of a sudden the client decides to you know he's been pitched by a Facebook marketing guy or a Google AdWords um, person um, they you know. Um, ideas on how to improve the website and get them leads and traffic and et cetera, et cetera. And so the client will go ahead with that. And then what would happen is that digital marketing person will get hold of my details from the client and send me a list of things that they need changed on the website. Okay. So they'll say, okay, so we need 10 new landing pages with optimized for these keywords. Um, and we also need a form on each page and we need, you know, four or five bits of call to call action. Call to action buttons everywhere. Buttons everywhere, pop-ups. Um, yeah. You know, all of this crap and nonsense. And it's like, are you for real? Like, you have completely just ruined everything that, you know, I've just worked on. And it, and it's just crazy. And it's like, you can't really, there's not much you can do in, in, that, in, in that scenario. And Yeah. No, there is a place for that sort of stuff in, in certain industries and certain types of, of product. But... It's not a, a blanket solution for everything, is it? No, it's not. Yeah. It definitely isn't. I mean, we think of all the solutions anyway. We think of the scenarios and the call to actions are all there. You know, the, that's all taken care of anyway. But when you're, when you're talking about running a, a Google AdWords campaign where, you know, they might have five or six campaigns running, 
you know, multiple ad groups and then, you know, multiple ads, then okay, they're going to need multiple landing pages. But it, it gets crazy with the marketeer who's probably using a, a tried and tested format. So, you know, from their point of view, they're right. And they, they just assume that they can send me a list of things that, you know, I'll be able to do mm. <laughs> without thinking about, okay, this is going to take time and effort and I'm going to have to quote the client on it. And it's going to cost the client X amount to make all these changes and amendments. So, you know, it's, it is pretty crazy. And the funny thing is that I provide digital marketing services as well. So it's like, why have you gone off with someone, you know, who's just got in touch with you? It could be a case that, you know, it might be a friend or yeah. they've promised that they'll go to them at some point. I get that. But, you know, it does throw a spanner in the works, you know, with these uh, digital marketing people. It is crazy. Yeah. yeah. I suppose we don't really get that as uh, that issue as much in the agency because it is all sort of handled in-house. Um, so that would be one of the services sold to the client at the same time as well, uh, you know, when the project is taken on. So it doesn't happen as often. So is, that, is there anything that like you'd like to change about your process and how you go from idea to completion? Um. But is anything missing from your process at the moment? I think thorough, um, good thorough testing is probably missing because what I'm finding is at the moment I'm, I'm getting a, quite a lot of work in and well, two things actually, um, actually spending, you know, proper time on creating bespoke design. Um, I'm finding myself having to just roll out websites um, without spending you know, a good amount of time on creating, you know, multiple versions of a, of a design. So usually I'm, I'm kind of uh, pitching to the client that it'll be a bespoke design, but what we'll do, it'll be, it'll be done in an iterative process. So we'll create, you know, a design for you, take some feedback from you, and then we'll kind of make changes to that design until we're both happy with it. Okay. And you know, it's going to work. Um, but then, you know, it's all rolled out pretty quick. You know, we've got uh, a framework in place in WordPress you know, we, we've got like a vanilla theme that we've created and everything kind of just falls into place. It's like a big jigsaw puzzle. So we have a list of all the essential plugins that we require. Um, and it's all kind of, you know, it becomes mundane, I'll be honest with you. You know, and if anything, I'd like to be able to spend more time, you know, um, with the client discussing, you know, their brand voice, um, you know, their identity and how that relates to what they do and who they want to speak to and get that through a design and, there's not much time to, to get that done. And then obviously that affects um, the quote, you know, on the project, you know? So a lot of guys out there, a lot of clients that we speak to, you know, they, they always mention the keywords, you know, I need a basic website. I need a simple website. And the alarm bells are ringing straight away. So they don't really want to spend any time on working any of that kind of stuff out. So interesting. Yeah. So putting some real, real time into that would be great. Um, but, the, the the flow that I've got at the moment works really well. Um, but, you know, as soon as I, I take on, um, you know, a designer, you know, I'll recruit someone, get them on board, then we'll be able to, be, you know, do that step properly and, you know, actually spend time um, between ourselves and, you know, work on that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think for us it's, in the agency, it's, um, it's, it's almost the opposite. We're, because the, the size of the projects is generally fairly large, and the budgets are fairly large as well. Um, 
we tend to have a bit of luxury to spend a lot more time with the clients uh, early on and um, have lots of conversations. Um, sometimes there's too many conversations. You know, you just want to crack on with things, but you you may end up, you know, just just talking about things for the first couple of weeks um, without seemingly without any progress. But it's all progress, really. Every conversation is helping. Um, you know, having lots and lots of conversations up front uh, will will cut down the amount of rework later on. So, so it it it, it may seem a bit um, not pointless, but a bit too much in the beginning but it's all it's all quite necessary but for me i think you know one thing i like to change especially in in our, my particular setup uh process setup is um just because we are distributed it'd be nice if we could um, just have a bit more time where everyone sits together and works collaboratively for a short while on the project um or or a bit more long term as well um, so that's probably the only thing I would like to really change. But it's one of the things, it'll, it'll, it happens, it comes and goes, and it all depends on the client and the, their location. And um, that has a big you know, a big influence on the team that gets used for the project. So, because like I said, we've got offices in, in the UK, Germany, and Croatia, and Austria. So if there's, a, if there's a project for a client, which is in Germany, chances are the majority of the German team is going to be used on that project. Um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of driven by the client. Um, you know, I've been made, I've been only really working on UK projects, um, for the past year. So, and every now and then someone from one of the European teams will come over and, and come and sit with me. But most of the time it's just myself and the clients dealing with it or, or people in the UK. One question I've got for you, when, once you, let's just say you're working on a project, right. And it's all signed off and it's all ready to go and you've got like a you've got a testing sort of phase right for this project yeah right how many how is that done how do you how do you guys deal with testing like i'm sure you've got like a massive like department which carries that out or it's outsourced yeah. Or- well, yeah i mean it's not huge we've got a qa team so we'll have you know that all the developers will do an element of their own testing as they're developing anyway right we, we kind of we have some guidelines and we have some uh things like uh, browser support defined and we'll have device support defined up. So if we know that, you know, the, the site has to work in IE 11 because that's what the client uses, then the developers will make sure that it is tested in IE 11 before it's even handed over to anyone. But then obviously we have QA as well. <clears throat> and the QA team will generally do a bit more in-depth testing. Uh, they'll test out very specific scenarios. Um, They'll base based on user stories, right? And they'll do a lot more device testing as well, uh, physical devices, and then try and find anomalies and edge cases. And so there'll be a round of internal QA testing, and then there'll be we'll hand over like the first phase to the client, and the client will then do their own testing in a, a staging environment. Uh, or some sort of environment and then that will come back to QA and then you know we'll go through a process of bug fixes and and another release and then it's until until we, it's sort of the release passes those steps so we'll go through a development uh, release and then a, normally a internal staging release then an external staging release and then finally on to production so right, it's okay. mostly a four step process Bloody hell, that's, that's huge 
see, this is the thing like with, with what I'm doing with the websites I'm building. The, the testing that you know I'm doing is, yeah, it involves the client. So before we launch, the client will see the website in a um, staging environment where they can go through every sort of scenario and they will click on every single link. They'll click on every single page. Um, if it's an e-commerce website, you know, we'll set up, um, you know, dummy products. Um, we'll have like, a, you know, the dummy payment cards available so they can go through the whole procedure and then see, you know, invoices come through via email. They can see, make sure the logos on there, everything's branded properly. Um, if there's push notifications set up, they want to see that working. If there's SMS set up, they want to see notifications come through. So they will literally spend, you know, um, a good few days, maybe a week, on sites of that scale, e-commerce sites especially. And then usually what we do is, you know, we'll we'll go through it as well. And we might pick up on a few things that were missed out or, you know, things that aren't working, you know. Um, it, it could be like a plugin's not working or um, something that we've put together um, from scratch isn't really working as it should be. It should be working. Uh, we pick up on those kind of things. But we'll kind of do it in tandem with the client. Okay. That's how we'll do it. But for the smaller websites, you know, it's literally a case of just going through everything. Um, we're only really testing in modern browsers, to be honest. I, I don't deal with any older browsers. Um, and mobile first is, is key as well. So we'll do all the standard kind of checks there, make sure all the inquiry forms are working as it should be. Um, maybe run the website through uh, G- GT Metrics or Google PageSpeed and just pick up on, you know, anything that might be bottlenecking anywhere like large images and things like that. Yeah. Uh, set up a CDN if we have to, you know, if it's required. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll find out about all of that kind of stuff during that sort of testing phase. It's um, not all the websites need need the CDN. Um, that's what I'm finding anyway. But anything, you know, image heavy with lots of content, you know, multiple style sheets in, in place, then yeah, um, we find that a CDN has got to be brought in. And we've got to test all of that as well. Um, make sure that's all working properly uh, before before everything's all rolled out. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned um, earlier about sort of dummy products and and dummy content. Um, one thing that we try and do is the our sort of st- second round of staging, which we yeah sometimes refer to as like pre-production. We'll try and mirror that to the production site as closely as possible, so it won't have dummy content in there. We'll have the actual content, and it will it will it'll be set up in a way where you can put real orders through as well with, with real credit cards and, yeah. and so forth. Uh, it's just basically a backup. That's what it essentially becomes then because then you have your production site and then you've got this other one, this pre-production, which is a, almost an exact mirror. Uh, unless someone goes and makes a change directly on the production site, you know, content might not be exact, but functionality should be an exact mirror. And that way then if, if the production site for any reason would ever go down, then you could, quite quickly um switch yeah. um, to the pre-production and make you know make that the live site then or take a copy from there and you shouldn't have to you shouldn't lose too much content yeah, um, yeah so that's that's one of the, the this big project that i was telling you about the utilities company that's kind of what we had we had quite a few different environments so we had our local dev environment and then there was a internal uh, internal local environment uh, so dev environment on individual machines and then a, a dev environment internally on a single server. And then there was a hosted internal server and then a hosted external server. It was like, it was about five steps, but 
you know, it's a massive company, you know, it's a massive utilities company and uh, they couldn't really afford any downtime. So it was important to get all those steps and thoroughly tested. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just that's going to grow with the, with the size of a project. It's, it's just going to grow and grow. Uh, yeah. I'd hate to imagine how much testing is involved in releasing something on, let's say, I don't know, like apple.com's website. You know, when they release a new iPhone and they have to update the product page for the iPhone as soon as it's released. Yeah. There must be so much going on in the background in terms of testing for that, just to make sure, you know, that all the images are correct and, you know, the content is all going to be refreshed. You know, you don't want anything cached locally. You've got to make sure that nothing is uh, made visible to the public too soon. Yeah. You know, leaks happen, but, you know, this and just... Checking, you know, the checkout process and the configuration options. It's going to be so much, but yeah, it's just I'm I'm sure they've got a massive QA team. We've got generally on a project we'll have a team of about three QA on most projects. Right. right. Yeah, between one and three, depending on the size, uh, and that's normally enough. It's normally enough to test out some browsers, test out all the browsers, test out all the devices. Right. Um, get it done and in a fairly reasonable amount of time as well. It's normally a good enough QA team. That's cool. Yeah, because I've been thinking about outsourcing that testing to um, people who specialise in um, testing websites and making sure, you know, everything flows as it should do. All right, and, all right. You know, I have been thinking about it um, just to alleviate uh, stress on, you know, on myself and anyone else working on the project. So, you know, I don't know what you think about that, but... Um, you know, I've been looking for, you know, I've Googled a few earlier this week. Uh, yeah, I mean, testing is a pretty big topic in itself. We could probably do something on that later on. Automated testing and unit testing. Yeah. Um, automation testing is something that I've been researching recently. Um, I haven't got very far with it yet, but I know some guys at work, they they do do unit testing as well. And, uh, you know, our dev team is encouraged to write tests where possible. Um, it's just one of those things. It's not always, you know, priority number one but yeah when it is it does definitely cut down on qa time and it does speed up the process from development to release so. okay you know when you mentioned um you're setting up multiple environments for for the websites say that again sorry when you set up multiple uh, uh environments for uh, for websites so you've got like a test environment staging pre-production and then production i've so I've only just started recently following that sort of concept. So before it would literally be a local version of the website where it's all built, everything's sort of tested locally, and then it'll be shared with the client. And then when they're happy with it, it's pushed live. And then that's it. Then there's only a live version of the site and then like a, a backups created of that, you know, um, automatically, you know, every day. Um, which is all good, but then we started doing more complicated websites, which require constant changes, amendments, um, new features, new functionality. Um, there's one particular website which we built is a number plate builder, and it allows people to go onto the site and create their own number plate. Um, and this website is constantly requiring new plate sizes added to it. Um, you know, new character limits being imposed on certain plates. Um, uh, new new types of finishes for the plate. So you, you know there could be a smoked finish, there could be a three D lettering, there could be four D lettering and acrylic lettering. And 
it just it's just mind blowing. And so this is probably one of the first websites that I've actually put through like three or four different um, um, stages now. So we we have like a local version of the website, we have a live um, dev version of the website, and there's a staging version of the website, and then there's a live actual live version of the website as well. And you know, and we're running Git with that as well. So we've got version control. On, on that as well and that's the first kind of project and you know it really is it really does take it out of you when you're working on something complicated and um so it's a case now for making a decision on is that the standard now for every single website that i take on it might not necessarily need to be the standard for everything but i mean it's a good practice to have three at least three sets you've got dev staging and, and production <clears throat> and it depends I guess it depends on how you're hosting your site as well. Um, I know with, like I've hosted sites with Azure before. Um, there is pretty simple to create a staging environment. Obviously you've got to pay extra. You know, you're, you're paying for two servers essentially. Um, one, if you use Netlify, have you ever used Netlify? No, I haven't. So Netlify makes it pretty simple as well. So uh, it's good for... Well, I suppose it's good for all sorts of sites, but for, especially for small sites, it's good because it's well, it's free. Uh, you can get free hosting from them, and uh, it basically syncs up with your GitHub repository, and you can have it to auto deploy your master branch to a, a URL, which is how um, I've got a few small sites set up. But what you can do with Netlify is you can set it to build one of your branches as well. So suppose you've got your master branch, you can create another branch called called staging if you want. And you can have that as your intermediate branch. So you do all of your commits in whatever branches and then merge those into staging first. Staging then gets deployed to a separate server, uh, a separate URL. And once you're happy with that, you then merge staging your staging branch into your master. And then that gets deployed to your live URL. Right. So that's one way you can set it up. Fairly simple. That's pretty cool, actually. Yeah, Netlify is really good. I mean, you should check it out. They're not sponsoring the show, but maybe one day they will. <laughs> <laughs> I'm using um, Deploy HQ to do my deployment. Um, uh, you know, using Source Tree and then development in um, uh, VS Code. But you know, it works really well. Um, it's pretty cool. Okay, I'll show you some stuff on Netlify um, after the show when we go offline. Brilliant. It's good. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we should pretty wrap it up there. We're sort of approaching our time. Um, yeah, it's been interesting, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk about this sort of thing again in the future. Yeah, definitely. As your team grows and see how things have changed for you. Yeah, no, definitely. We're recruiting at the moment, so hopefully do some interviews next week and uh, see who comes on board. Yeah, it'd be good. That'd be good. All right, well, thank you for listening to the show. Um, be sure to subscribe to the show in your podcast player, and you can feel free to drop us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you can leave a review um, you can follow the show on Twitter at InspectFM and you can find the show notes for this episode and all the previous episodes the full archive over the, at Inspect.FM uh, you can follow myself on Twitter at Ajay Karwal and yours is at it's at Urban Bindi um, you can also find my Delve agency um, account on there as well which is uh, at We Are Delve Okay, cool. I'll put those in the show notes as well. Um, but yeah, other than that, we will catch you in the next episode. Nice one. See you then.
All right. See ya. Bye-bye.